It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's George. And I want everybody to exhale, to just, you know, unclench CJ Stroud. <laughs> and this is the last time I hope I have to talk about this. CJ Stroud has gone number two in the NFL draft. He wasn't falling down draft boards. There wasn't, uh, you know, close-ups of his face as he got more and more anxious as the first round went on. He was selected after Bryce Young. He is now the second pick of the NFL draft. Going and, to Houston and Johnny, Texas. correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was on this very show last week that we said C.J. Stroud and Paris Johnson would go before Mr. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Did we? Uh, did we we not did say, say that. that. We did say that. That's true. Um, however, however, uh, you know, there are a few things maybe we weren't quite as prescient on, and, and I am a little sad that Dewan fell as far as he did, uh, didn't go to my Bengals and instead went to the hated Cleveland Browns, although I don't really hate the Cleveland Browns. It's very hard to hate the Cleveland Browns. It's like I, 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 I hate the Cleveland Browns. Well, that's, that's understandable because you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about all the NFL draft. But before we get specifically into how Ohio State players did, I just want your general impressions uh, of the draft, you know, ups, downs, plus, minuses, all that kind of stuff surprises great picks reaches whatever um what are your general impressions of of the draft those three days that we just are glued to our television screen uh i i'm happy that it's it's done uh this obviously wasn't the most glamorous one i don't think as it has been for recent years i think a lot of that has to deal with the kind of negative uh swirling media stuff around cj stroud going into the last week which is a shame because there was so much positive momentum at the beginning of the draft process yeah um a lot of feel-good stuff around paris johnson jr um and even you know him and uh you know cj stroud uh, together i mean it's you know both of them going in the top 10 was was great to see uh so you know i mean ohio state having a pretty solid trend of that in recent drafts that's this continued first round success is something that's nice to see. Um, it obviously wasn't as successful of a day two or a day three, I think, as maybe we're accustomed to seeing in recent drafts. And I think that was reflected in the fact that, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm something of a premium Wolverine hater. And so <laughs> I always keep an eye on the enemy and to see that's Michigan right. get nine guys drafted, even though, you know, just, Fair enough, couple special teamers. Um, but, you know, still going 9-6 on draft picks. You know, that, that doesn't make me feel great. This is one of the flagship NFL draft factory schools and programs in terms of, you know, putting professional football players out. So long-term, I don't feel necessarily bad about it. Luke Weipler went about where I expected him to seeing Dewan fall wasn't encouraging, but obviously, you know, there were some understandable reasons that, you know, skipping out on pro day and, uh, you know, swirling questions around weight aren't going to make people feel great about things. And Zach Harrison, actually, I expected him to go even lower than the third round with where he went. Um, so it's all things considered. I think it performed expectations, but we still expect to see, you know, more more guys out there, at least more than Michigan. Um, and uh, you know, well I'm I, I, I'll be curious to see 
what, what the the thing that I thought that was most amusing about day three was how much they were talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. for next <laughs> yeah. year. They're very excited. Right. I don't know if a wide receiver's ever gone first overall, but it would it would be something that would be pretty cool to see next year if he could pull it off based on the way that they were uh, gassing him up on the broadcast. So yeah, would, uh, I, I honestly think if Marvin has – if Routman Marv has even a mediocre season next year, uh, he's going to be like a top two or three pick just because I, I think it's one of those like, you know, pass for his future kind of – I mean, they, they want – they want that guy in the league as soon as possible because they, they, they were illustrating the talent. That as a lock. Yeah, I mean, basically. Uh, I want to ask you real quick though. So, as it always does with the NFL draft, I think most eyes are on quarterbacks. So Will Levis fell. Good. Um, I don't think you know, and not you know, I don't think the guy is like a trash human being or anything like that. <laughs> I just don't think he's that great of a quarterback. Oh, I still yeah, am. Well, <laughs> I'm still baffled by. The and, and again, another, you know, like apparently solid, really good human being, unbelievably athletic freak of nature, just, you know, incredible. I don't understand how you go with Anthony Richardson at the four pick with Indianapolis. I mean, the guy has not thrown, has not completed 55% of his passes, only started like 13 games in college, super inconsistent. Be like, oh, well, he's got all these yards on the ground. I'm like, that's great, but like, are the Colts going to? Are they going to try to make him the next Michael Vick? Are they trying to make him like, you know, Justin Fields? Is he going to be a guy to to try to rack up as many passing yards as rushing yards? Like, I just don't – I don't understand that pick. And well, and is there an insight that you might have that will help me understand that? Because to me that seems like a huge reach. I do. Sometimes okay. the simplest explanation is the most obvious one. And I'm I'm sure that you're familiar with the exploits of a, of a Mr. Jim Ursay. <laughs> yes yes i am All right. well yes. if you go to mr jim ursay's twitter account uh you'll you'll see some activity during the draft that might uh, re- reflect the the state of mind of ownership that indianapolis was in during the draft um after they picked anthony richardson ursay floated the idea out there of i believe picking will levis or trading up to pick will levis on day mm-hmm. two uh, with the idea of creating a Joe Montana, v- Steve Young type scenario, as uh, he <laughs> phrased it in his own words. He later posted a picture of himself like on draft night during that. And you can, I mean, this is a man that is visibly zonked. Like he, I don't know what they were. I don't know if he was at the event. I don't know if he was in Indy, but this this guy was, you know, they they did not take the man's phone away from him, even though he was having a few pops of whatever was going on. So yeah. I don't know if he put his foot down on the gas and said, you pick this guy that has, you know, some of the freakiest athletic measurables we've ever seen to the position, even though he's only played, you know, I think 13 games. They said 13 games. That's it. Here's what I'll say. I. I was very, very high on him when he was a freshman to the point that I kept stressing, I don't understand why Dan Mullen is going with Amori Jones over Anthony Richardson when his job is on the line. You need to put the most talent out there in order to succeed. People can criticize Richardson for not playing enough. I think that he was a guy that once he gets that exposure that he's going to be able to rise to the moment. So he's going to have his growing pains in the NFL and it's unfortunate because he could have had those in college and you don't 
and I think suffer as much scrutiny. That's but, a great. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. Um, so I I I am confident in him long term, but I think the reason that he went as high as he did is because you know I if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan, that that owner man, that guy that is tracks. just a complete character. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. <laughs> Ursay went on to say that he still would have taken Anthony Richardson even if he had the number one pick. Uh, which I mean. That's dumb, but I mean, what else are you gonna say, right? Like, he's not, you know, he's not gonna say like, oh yeah, no, we definitely would have gone Bryce Young because we, we like him better. Now you're gonna you're gonna gas up the guy that you got, which is totally fine, um, but it just kind of cracks me up a little bit. So yeah, I mean, overall, I don't think anybody really has any, uh, you know, any problems with how the quarterback thing shook out, despite all the drama. You know, I went over, I was looking at some of, like, the Houston Texans fan blogs and the subreddit and all that kind of thing. All their fans seem pretty stoked about it. And, of course, they're really stoked that they pulled off that coup and got basically the best defensive player in the draft as well. Um, So, you know, I mean, overall, I think they did what they needed to do. Some people say they gave up too much. That's fine. Uh, I think that's, you know, if if you want to say that. But, honestly, if you're in their position, I think you got to go get what you got to get. And uh, getting Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud in the first round, that's that's pretty – that's ballsy. I respect that, honestly. Even if it doesn't work out, I respect it. I Will Will Anderson's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I he was a Heisman candidate for a reason. I know I, I chided people that, you know, thought he was going to win it, but uh, he's the, – the guy's undeniably talented. Uh, I'm – I, it, it's a it, it's a big play by the Texans. Um, I'm I'm glad that they weren't. You know, I I I I can't remember who made this point uh, at eleven Warriors, but um, you know, I it might have been you, Johnny, but someone um, you know, just talking about how the objective of an agent is to get the most money for their guy. Right. And I I hadn't really looked at it for that angle in terms of who C.J. Stroud had been going with relative to, you know, what that just happened with Deshaun Watson strictly from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when I when I look at it strictly from that angle, I can respect it a little bit more. Um, I I was just kind of willing, I guess, to be devil's advocate in the sense that I could see why someone would be attributing that to him as a red flag, but uh, in the draft process. But I'm, it, it, it's encouraging to me that Houston was willing to pick him and and overlook that thing that I think people were kind of silently chiding him for, aside from, you know, all the stuff surrounding his, uh, you know, test scores. Right. Yeah, I would I would agree with that as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about maybe local rooting interests. So we've got the Bengals and the Browns, obviously. But if you live in central Ohio or large parts of Ohio in general, I think the Steelers also factor into this. We can start with them. Steelers, by a lot of uh, estimations, a lot of, you know, kind of reviews that have come out after the the NFL drafts, put the Steelers as one of the best, if not the best draft in the entire you know, in the entire league, and I know that you're a Steelers fan. How are you feeling about the guys that they picked up? I, I you had there's so much to like. Uh, I know that the biggest need for the team is still going to be offensive line, and I'm yep. not confident that they've filled all the holes there. Broderick Jones is definitely going to help. Um, that's why I I'm like 
cautiously excited about you know getting joey porter jr i was about um, to say because, that's that's got to be a nice pickup for right Solis. and it for the name and everything it's great right. um as a fan you love it you know my personal favorite pick out of the bunch is the darnell washington mm-hmm. pick just because of the the measurables and the way that the Steelers historically have used those kind of enormous tall tree tight ends for you know pretty easy touchdown passes and I think that having a guy like that with Fryermuth, I mean there's I think it's gotta love that I mean you think of a guy like Bill Belichick who's so devious with those twin tight end sets having those two enormous guys on opposite sides or even you know the same section of the field I think is going to be enormous for this there's fun things they can do but the core of any team is going to be an offensive line and the fact that they only used one of their high-end picks when they had four in the top you know the four in the first three rounds Mm -hmm. um on Broderick Jones and then they didn't draft another offensive lineman until the seventh that that makes me a little bit cautious about you know did they really do enough to address what the biggest flaw with the team is but overall as a fan I think you got to be happy with uh, what they did and you know if you're you might have a little bit of envy I think uh, from a fan perspective if you're in the AFC North and uh, you know you're looking from across the bow and you're you know considering what your team got so well, and you know what? It, it, kind of on the flip side here, if you look at the Browns, right, that is a team that picked up a lot of offensive line help in the name of, you know, two Ohio State Buckeyes and Luke Whipler and then uh, Dewan Jones, big Thanos, which, again, I I would have thought that would have been a nice pickup for the Bengals, but the Browns made that uh, selection. I don't, you know, and, and the thing is, is that, like, you know, they got Cameron Mitchell, a cornerback, Cedric Tillman. Um, I am interested just to see, I mean, the thing about the Browns, first of all, is that they didn't get a first round pick because of the Deshaun Watson trade. And I think that trade and and Deshaun Watson in general is going to be a guy, you know, and a decision that's that they're, it's going to make or break them for years. I I really think that, and and maybe Deshaun comes out and he has a great season in 2023. I don't know how that will, you know, actually shake out. Um, But you know, the thing is, is that that really, it almost feels like they didn't appreciate when they gave the guy a quarter of a billion dollars, like how, I mean, I, you have to believe that they did, but it almost feels like they undersold the, the gravity of that particular decision. So, you know, Cedric Tillman, that's great coming out of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, coming out of Tennessee. That's awesome. Dude's 23. So he's mature. Hopefully he can, you know, kind of make an instant impact. Um, I don't know. I think I think that has a lot of potential to help them out. I think a guy like Luke Whipler, especially, um, you know, being drafted where he was, that's a that's a high value pick. But a lot of it again just kind of centers on how Deshaun ends up playing ultimately. So well, here's here's something I can tell you relative to where I think the Browns are kind of headed to that point you've made with leveraging that much drafts capital in one player. Part of the reason that Justin Fields is in the position that he's in right now with the Bears, and I could tell you this as a Bears fan before being a Steelers fan, but I do have yeah. dual citizenship in both camps. <laughs> um, Justin Fields is in the position he's in right now because of what the Bears did in trading for Khalil Mack many years ago. Right, And right. they have only just started to get out of how much draft capital they gave up in that scenario that they leveraged on the success of Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. Khalil Mack had a great arrival season and then, you know, fizzled out due to injuries and just kind of being 
double and triple teamed regularly and not being able to return the value they sink into him for his contract and for how much they traded for him. The good news is you're usually able to get more of a return for that stuff when you're putting it in a quarterback as opposed to an edge rusher that gets hurt. So I think you can be a little bit more optimistic if you're the Browns, but if Deshaun Watson himself gets hurt or, you know, if some other unforeseen issue pops up that causes him to miss time, uh, whatever the case may be, their success, and I mean, you can say this about pretty much any team that leverages their or anchors themselves to a quarterback, it's make or break with Deshaun Watson at this point, but if it really doesn't go well with him, then the entire team, I think, is really going to feel that in a bad, bad way, and unfortunately... Yeah. Cleveland's kind of a perfect situation for those kind of vibes. As <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what they run on. That's their fuel. I mean, basically, that's 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 what you. That's come to expect. their brand over. There. That is their brand. Uh, used to be the Bengals brand. Bengals have had some really unprecedented success in the past couple seasons. I still, the idea that they've even won like an AFC championship is. Still indecipherable. Like, I can't... It's one of those things where I really can't decide how I feel about because I don't believe it still happened. <laughs> I mean, I... You know, I'm a 38-year-old man. I grew up, you know, with WLW doing all my Bengals parodies and Bruce Coslett and just the worst possible form of football that you could ever watch. And here they are. They've got a, a pretty darn solid team and a team that I think they made better with the draft. I would have liked to have seen the tight end. They didn't get the tight end. Would have liked to have seen a tight end. I like that they went out and got Chase Brown out of Illinois. I think he'll be a great addition. Probably expedites the exit of Joe Mixon. Miles Murphy is a good choice up top. Again, I mean, I it's, it's what you're choosing to prioritize. You know, maybe you could have looked for more offensive line help. I don't know. Um... You know, I, I do think that some of the wide receivers that they got, Charlie Jones, for example, is, is another one of those high-value picks, I think. I think that's, that's a very bad. sneaky good pick, and I'm honestly surprised that he was available in the at the end of the fourth round, even. Mm -hmm. it um, You know, he was criminally underutilized when he was at Iowa, and it wasn't until he got to Purdue last year that he really popped as a as a player in college but it was it was evident at Iowa that he was not getting the just because of their scheme that he was being underutilized which I think is one of the reasons he transferred so I think if he had gotten more of an opportunity to showcase what he did similar to what he did recently at Purdue he would have flourished and mm -hmm. for a guy like that to be at the disposal of Joe Burrow and just go into the receiving core that they've already got with Cincinnati. I think, I think he's gonna very quickly be the most like value return guy that they get, just because of the talent they've got there already, the supporting cast for him that yeah. he hasn't had at his disposal within the last two years of his playing career. Imagine, think about that. You go from playing in the Brian Ferentz offense to playing with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Oh my yeah. God. That's a, that's a nice little uh, upgrade I think for him. And the thing is, I mean, he's going to get a lot of yards. That's really the thing. It, it, Joe Burrow is a guy, I mean, you know, you can talk all day about the talent that they have at wide receiver on that team. And that's, there's a lot 
of, uh, you know, kind of people to go around and spread the ball to. But I think the bigger thing is that he likes those safety valves. He likes a guy who can just get open, do the, you know, 10, 15 yards. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really have to go deep on every play. He wants to find that guy who's going to, you know, give him that, uh, you know, sure catch. And for a guy to get on, you know, over 1300 yards with the Purdue Boilermakers last season, um, I think he's going to be that dude. So I, I really like that pick a lot. And just overall, you know, I think they got a lot of good uh, value in general for who they were picking. Again, you know, people will go back to where's that tight end and maybe they'll find that dude in free agency. I don't know how that'll work out, but overall I think it was a really good draft for the Bengals and, and a lot of guys who will, you know, be an immediate help for them, which is, you know, when you're a team that's, I mean, you're basically in constant, you know, one upmanship with the chiefs right now and the bills, you've got to have guys in the draft that when you bring them in are not projects will basically be able to contribute immediately because you need to do that. You're keeping up with these other guys who, you know, they're going to be adding dudes to their roster too. So it's not, this isn't a rebuild draft for the Bengals and it won't be for several years. It's going to be, we got to find guys who are going to give us immediate production. And I think they found that. So that'll be interesting to see, especially in the old AFC North, uh, let's talk specifically about Ohio State. Six uh, drafted players, um, only one defensive player, so that was kind of interesting. But C.J. Stroud, again, to the Texans, I think right place to take him. The Texans as a institution, as a franchise, that'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, I'm, I, I think I'm confident that C.J. Stroud's going to have you know a lot of success in the league. Uh, it just depends on what he's surrounded with and, and what that team looks like. Uh, Paris Johnson uh, goes to the Arizona Cardinals at six. I think that's a great pick. He was, you know, considered to be the, you know, the cream of the crop when it came to offensive linemen for a reason. Uh, he's, I mean, if you look at his stats, if you look at his um, uh, protection ability in college, it was just, it was, he was, lo- he was as solid as you're going to get. Um Jackson Smith and Jimmy goes in the Seattle Seahawks. How do you feel about that? He he fell to twenty. Um, I said he was a more ripe good candidate. For him? For, I said he was a more ripe candidate for his stock to drop than yeah. uh, Stroud. I felt, and that was reflect because everybody thought when the Packers traded up, everybody assumed that they did that needing to go get a receiver. Uh, you know, to alleviate the fact that they didn't really have a primetime guy that had emerged for Rodgers, and that was one of the reasons that Rodgers wanted to leave. Uh, So it was surprising when they passed on him. We were all kind of wondering, what is the floor? And, you know, Dan Hope, an outspoken Patriots fan, was was (laughs) heartbroken to see the Bill pass on him not only once but twice, trade back, and then, you know, just let him go again. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So when that happened, I mean, you see teams that have a need for a guy that is, you know, the top of the class in a year when it's this guy feels like a star and the rest of these guys don't necessarily feel like they either have that ceiling or are capable of the production that inspires that kind of ceiling from day Mm -hmm. one it's it's stunning to see teams that have that need in an era where we see receivers of that caliber go high fall to where he did in the first right but my goodness i mean that that's a that's a cerebral in terms of like cerebus three-headed monster like 
oh, receiving yeah. core in Seattle oh now with Met. Probably the best in the league, right? I mean, you got to think. Don't, I don't know about that, but I mean, I I want to see a couple games, but like it, you 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 speak those names. I mean, it's 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 a tough. I I I always want they didn't I we didn't get to see it enough uh the the trips lineup of uh Olave and Wilson and uh whether it was in Jigba or Jameson Williams we we always I I wanted to see more trips and we we usually got to see it I think in the in the I think I remember seeing it quite a bit in the Clemson game when Justin Fields went off but you know you think about those three guys lining up in a bunch formation together: DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And uh, it's gonna be that's gonna be hard to defend. Geno Dimes is gonna have some fun. I know well, Matt, Matt Gutridge is a is a, a Seahawks fan. I think he's uh, quite happy with the results. Let's talk. I want so Geno. That is just endlessly fascinating to me because that is a dude who had been in the league, has been in the league for a long time. It's basically spent before 2022 had spent what like six seven years just all over the place and you know kind of in and out and, and playing some games and whatever but then he comes out and i think he had a really an incredible season i mean again the team was like you know just above 500 but uh you know threw for over four thousand yards almost 70 percent you know completion percentage um i mean i i get an incredible year is that do you think that's a one-off for him or you know, because they have those wide receivers, do you think he's going to be able to continue that in 2023? Uh, he, here's what I'll say. He, uh, I would, I was, I'm a West Virginia Mountaineers. I get, I, if I'm not a fan, I'm a sympathizer because my, <laughs> my grandpa went there. So I, oh, I was, I, I was cautiously like, you know, supportive of, of Geno Dimes when he was in college. I was, I was skeptical when he was, you know, got all the draft hype that he did. And then I was devastated when he went to the New York jets because I knew mm-hmm. that was a death sentence for his career at the time. Um, guys don't pop in the NFL at quarterback in year 10. <laughs> it's, no. it's crazy. And yet I, and I, and I remember thinking that like while I was playing fantasy football last year. And then I just remember looking at the trends and thinking this is a guy who's thrown multiple touchdown passes in like five, six games now. And he's, you know, I mean, he's been around for a bit. He's got good receivers. Is, is he going to roll into this for the rest of the season? And I mean, I mean, he went all the way to the playoffs with them. He did. I mean, it's, it, 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 he was one of the, most feel good stories i think in the nfl in years because you just don't see guys at that position pop this late that makes me worried about how long that success is going to be sustained because i think part of the reason he probably did well was there wasn't a lot of successful tape that teams had on him to right. scheme right. against yeah. him while he was popping off. And the Seattle defense to that point, or the Seattle offense rather to that point was kind of a, it, they flew under the radar um, for most of last year. That's why I made the point of fantasy football was I couldn't believe that he was available for how well he was doing. And he kind of saved my season in a few leagues. <laughs> and the Seattle offense was just quietly very productive last year. And nobody figured it out until the end. They were just like, oh, wow, Geno Smith had a great year. So I, I, I'm 
cautious about him keeping going. I've always been cautious about Geno Smith just because the hype has never been a good thing for him. Mm-hmm. But he's in a good position to succeed, and he just got a very, very fun tertiary tool to deploy That's in right. Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I... I don't th- I don't see any reason why he can't have another really great year. I don't know what the long-term outlook is for him in Seattle, but I I don't see why he couldn't have a similar follow-up season. You know, I don't know about necessarily Pro Bowl caliber, but either way, great great story from last season and one of the more feel-good stories in the NFL in recent years. All right, before we close out on the NFL draft, we got three more Ohio State draft picks we got zach harrison uh went 75th pick in the third round to the falcons dewan jones goes to cleveland browns 111th pick in the fourth round luke whipler gets to the cleveland browns as well as previously mentioned the sixth round of those three dudes who do you think has the best nfl career i i man i i i dewan was getting first round hype and he deserved it and I, you know, the, the teams, I get why they would be concerned, but the guy came to Ohio state as a three-star and he, he was by no, I mean, he was a basketball player in high yep. school. <laughs> he didn't really even, so people are like, oh, they're questioning the commitment to the craft. But I mean, the guy already in a limited window with limited exposure to the sport proved that he could elevate himself to a position where you think about him as one of the top prospects eligible for going in the first round. The only Mm -hmm. thing you're worried about is, is he too heavy? Which, I mean, NFL conditioning programs correct that problem all the time. And, uh, you know, what is his commitment to the craft? Which I think, you know, once he starts to see how much money he can make doing this he might want to stick with it for a little bit so it uh if those two things are your only red flags what what else are you really concerned with the guy had record setting measurables at the senior bowl like good enough that he thought he could coast on them and honestly i thought he kind of could have too because the his stock was skyrocketing at that point I don't like where he went, obviously. Just sure, yeah, you know, of course. My, my Cleveland Browns bias, but if there's one position that has a tradition of succeeding at that franchise, it is the offensive tackles. So right. I don't see why Mr. Big Thanos can't follow in the footsteps of uh, Mr. Joe Thomas and the like and, you know, be – a, a big face in this state you know he went to ohio state and i think he can i think he's gonna have lifetime brand equity there if he wants it the question is is he is he gonna seize it so actually the more that i think about it in terms of where he went i think the incentive for him to succeed is very strong and because of that i think he's gonna have a much better career than zach harrison or luke whitebler no, I think that's 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 a that's a good take. I will actually say that I think Zach Harrison is a dude who's going to do a lot better than people expect in the league. I just don't think he was quite comfortable in the defense that he was playing for a while, and you and and you saw last season he didn't have the stats that jump off the page, but he played so well within the de- you know within the role that he was asked to play with Jim Knowles. 
And his athletic ability, his measurables are all crazy. I mean, the guy is just a physical specimen. I, I really think that in the NFL, they're going to figure out a way to utilize this guy the way that he really needs to be. And, you know, is he going to make, you know, 100 tackles or, you know, you know, 15 sacks in the first year? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But I really do think that he's going to have a really successful NFL career. And there's a lot of Ohio State defensive linemen. Granted, a lot of them have played more in the interior. But guys who have been around the league for a long time uh, because they found the niche and they were able to do what they do very, very well. I think Zach Harrison is going to be one of those guys. Were you think, disappointed with his career at Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair to say that if you were somebody who was expecting him to be, you know, going out there and be like one of the Boses, right, and, and get 12, 15 sacks a year or something like that. I will say, like I said, I think he had an outstanding year last year. Didn't always show up on the stat sheet, but played exactly the way that he needed to and made the defense a lot better than it should have been uh, otherwise, you know, at his position. But, I, but you know, if you're a fan and you're like, okay, I wanted to see a guy with a billion sacks, then, yeah, I think it's it's fair to say that you could be a little disappointed. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Ohio's defense is, or Ohio State's defense has been in flux. <laughs> and that's to put it politely in the past several years. So, you know, I, I don't think that he's a dude that uh, got the best opportunities as a Buckeye, but I also think that it's fair to say if you're, you know, you're a fan and then you had those expectations that you want to see a little bit more. I just think once he gets to the NFL, they'll be able to, you know, do the same thing that you were talking about with DeWan, which is coach him up, get him in the right mindset, and, and someone with his physical ability, I think, is going to make an impact, and hopefully for a long time. So I'm, I'm, pretty confident that he's going to have a pretty good NFL career. So that's the draft. A lot of things happening. Uh, back-to-back years where six Ohio State Buckeyes were taken. Um, obviously, a lot of eyes, as we mentioned earlier, are going to be on next year with Marvin Harrison because that dude is going to go very high. Uh, but that's you know that'll that's a tale for another time. Um, let's talk real quick before we get asked us anything. We've got a lot of recruiting things happening. It's It all just kind of like came down on us in the past, you know, I don't know, a few hours, essentially, before we, we started breaking recording. news on the 11 Dubcast. That's right. Um, so we've got a 2024 running back, Jordan Lyle, committing to Ohio State, which, I mean, uh, I, I love that there's running backs. We've, we've seemed like there's a lot on the roster now, uh, in addition to James Peoples, another four-star running back uh, in that class. And then you've got some others, obviously, on the roster. Uh, former Notre Dame wide receiver learns of styles coming into Ohio state as a cornerback joining his brother, um, who is also in the, uh, the secondary for Ohio state. Um, so that's, I, I mean, if you get a little more secondary help joining Sonny, um, that's, that's nice. And then this was anticipated, uh, former San Diego state offensive tackle, Josh Simmons is coming to Ohio state. This is a guy who definitely fills an area of need. One, I mean, in pass pro, if you look at the grades and, and um, you know, evaluations that he gets, he's definitely a guy who can contribute, not as great in run blocking. One of the things that I think people might be a little nervous about is the penalties that he's been called for. But look, that's an area that Ohio State has been very thin at uh, for a little bit now. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's that's definitely an area that they're going to be happy that they could uh, bolster a little bit so of those people coming in within the last like 20 seconds you know who are you going to be most excited about who are going to be paying most most attention to oh i mean simmons because it it, it, it was 
the joke of the spring game was, you know, how terrified everyone was with the offensive tackle play. So, <laughs> right. you know, you get a, right. you get a, a new guy like this that, you know, can, I mean, obviously Josh Fry wouldn't bring this guy in if he wasn't enthusiastic about him. Um, and the well, thing and Josh I, Fry's, you know, his track record at this point is I think pretty solid when we're talking about guys who are getting into the league and things like that. I have confidence in his coaching ability. And if there's a guy that's got a lot of raw talent. And the other thing about this dude is that he was, it's not like Ohio state just, you know, picked him out of a hat. He had a lot of teams who were interested in his services, um, including some pretty big names. So, you know, it's not like this guy is chopped liver. It, 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 as far as the recruiting, uh, excuse me, as far as the transfer portal goes, I think a lot of colleges were looking to add this guy to their team. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I know Colorado was one of them. Um, yep. I know we're planning to talk about uh, Mr. Deion Sanders in a little bit. But, you know, that point where he was, you know, telling all the players that he just sent off that he's bringing in his luggage and it's uh, it's all Louie. You know, he obviously <laughs> regards Mr. Simmons as, as Louie quality. So if, That's if, right. if, if Mr. Fry is seeing the same thing as Mr. Sanders, then you obviously have to feel good about uh, Mr. Simmons. The thing that I feel good about relative to what you were concerned about with the penalties is I think one of the stresses for Ohio state this off season is going to be cleaning up the penalties because that was one of the mm -hmm. reasons they lost to Michigan. That was one of the issues that they, I think consistently demonstrated uh, throughout the season. I don't necessarily know if, if false starts, which I think is the concerns with uh, Simmons uh, was, was a, a problem throughout the offensive line last year upon reflection. But the fact that the whole team is going to be needing to stress cleaning up penalties as Simmons comes into the program makes me feel good that that problem is going to be worked out. And that makes me feel good about his long-term trajectory and filling that need for Ohio state. Yeah. I think that's a, a good take on that. Uh, going back to the 2024 classes real briefly. I mean, I do hope at some point that they, you know, decide to draft a, uh, a defensive player or draft. I keep saying draft. They decide to sign a defensive if player. They, they do have, could. yeah, they do have, that's right. They do have some obviously, uh, in that class, but it is a heavily, heavily offensive, uh, you know, late in class right now. And, you know, it, it's going to even out. I mean, we keep saying that it's going to even out, but, I feel like now it's starting to feel a little more, a little more urgent to, to do so. Um, you know, it's great that you've got all those offensive linemen, you've got those running backs, you've got those unbelievable wide receivers. Hopefully you have a little bit more than just a couple of linebackers in the next two or three months. I think the I important thing to keep in mind is that we're in a much more dynamic environment than we have been in recent years. And yeah. so when needs arise, there there's going to be interest from people that are looking to make moves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like this is a, it would be one thing if this was, you know, a mid table team in a power five conference, but this is one of the flagship enterprises of college football right now. So when right. there's a visible need for a position, I think there's going to be people that see that vacancy and say, hey, I think that's a position where I can be successful, uh, whether that's me making a move through the transfer market or thinking ahead to 2024. So even if they don't end up getting that vacancy filled as quickly as they want, the market is in a dynamic enough place now where I think as it 
becomes apparent that certain players are succeeding at one school and not doing as well in another, or there's, you know, a, a line in terms of who's going to get to start where. As dominoes fall, Ohio State is positioned well to capitalize on that dynamic state the market is in to fill the needs that they have. So even if this doesn't get addressed as much as they like, I think that there will be enough interest from linebackers elsewhere that they're going to be able to you know, fill that vacancy. And I feel good about the young linebackers they have right now, too, in terms of, you know, for long term outlook. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, even though, you know, you want to see those holes filled as quickly as possible. I do think it's funny, and I mean, it's appropriate that you said this, but, you know, talking about the market, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it really, it literally is that. I mean, I think that just shows how much things have changed in just the past two or three years. It's pretty, pretty wild. Business is um, booming. That's right. So, yeah, and literally, I guess, in the case of uh, Ohio State uh, recruiting. All right, so let's go ahead and do Ask Us Anything, but before we do that, I want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers. Check it out. They're great. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with Ask Us Anything. And as a reminder, we want to let you know that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And when we say Ask Us Anything, we mean Ask Us Literally anything and that's that's how we how we do on the dubcast so we're going to start with this one this one's from phil phil wants to know if you had to defend yourself right like you're you're some crazy person's coming at you they're encroaching in your space what first of all do you feel confident in your ability to defend yourself do you feel like you are are you know learned in the ways of martial arts and then secondly what type of martial art are you going to use to fend off your attacker? I don't, I don't, I don't know any martial arts, but I, I did. You so know, you're just going to scream and just claw at their face. Well, I, I'm in an interesting spot because I, I played varsity football all four years of high school, and I okay. used to regularly push. Gotta be a around, tough dude. Well, I used to regularly push around 350 pound men after school. Uh, when I was 250. 30 40 pounds okay so i'm confident in my knowledge of like leverage and footwork and i you know not necessarily in terms of like you know the hands or whatever but just in terms of trying to get the fight to the ground or at least you know keep myself in a somewhat upright defendable position against a person that might be bigger than me i feel uh -huh. good about that against someone smaller than me i mean i'll i'll smother you to death uh but the thing is i that was when i was 230 40 pounds and i'm you know down to something like i haven't stepped on a scale for a bit but my guess is i'm probably somewhere in the ballpark of like 180 um mm -hmm. so i you know, I still feel strong, but that was also, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what still translates or not. And I've, I've worked out at various points of my life, but I don't have the martial arts skill set to deploy in terms of the hands just to, you know, drop the person immediately. I feel okay. good in terms of my experience of, you know, leverage combat. I don't know about combat, but just in terms of like physical competition against people that are larger than me, I feel good. But yeah, against a smaller person, I feel like I could smother them pretty well. Against a person bigger <laughs> than me, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'll be fearless though. I'll tell you that much. All right. Well, I'll tell you this. So I I am not. You know, I used to work out a lot. Um, I, I felt like okay, I'm a pretty strong guy. That that was years ago, and um, I I broke my collarbone. You know, like you know, having a kid. That COVID, all of that's years in the past. So 
I need a, a some kind of weapon, some kind of stick, some kind of thing. <laughs> and I actually remember, this is a long time ago. This is when I lived in Japan. I, I heard about this. Uh, there's So there's a lot of different Okinawan um, uh, martial arts. And there's one specifically about like weapon systems and whatnot. And the one that I was fascinated by that I learned about over there was where they use like an oar of a boat. And it's like, it's just basically something where you're just constantly just whapping people on the head with the oar. And I, were, I would see demonstrations and stuff about it. I'm like, you know what? If I ever get into this fighting game, if I ever got to be a tough guy that's got to defend himself, I'm going to just bonk people on the head with a big oar-like stick. So that's that's what I would go for. I think I could do pretty well at that. I've got reach. I've got, I'm, I'm not like a, you know, a giant, but I'm a fairly tall guy. I'm almost 6'2". Um, I got pretty long arms. I feel like... I could bonk some dudes over the head if, if necessary. So I, uh, that reminds me of my my favorite review that I've ever read of any video game was for Far Cry Five, and it was for a man who I'm gonna look this up so I can read it for the viewers. It was a man who played through the game, and his play style was deploying oars. Like his combat oh, style was just throwing oars at people. I love it. Uh, let me see if I can find this. Uh, but anyway, you can, you can go ahead with the next question while I look for that, but I no, no, that's fine. So the, yeah, <laughs> the next question is pretty simple. This one's just from Charles who wants to know, uh, what is the weirdest food that you've ever eaten? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the most exotic thing I've eaten, uh, would probably be shark. Mm. Um, that's usually my answer when people are wondering like what the, you know, obscure thing is. I don't know what my answer for weird gross would be because I try to repress all my memories of gross food. Uh, <laughs> but I think shark is... Shark is you know, interesting. It's, it, it's kind of like chicken. I know some people have a lot of comparisons to various fish to chicken. It is kind of like a steaky texture. So not it's not like a super interesting taste relative to other fish but it's you know to say that you've had shark mm. as a delicacy is uh, something that i have done well and you know what and the thing is i don't like to you know make cultural comparisons like this too you know because we we eat all kinds of crazy stuff in the united states and don't think you know twice about it right and it's it's not you know i don't i, I don't love to say like oh i went to this exotic land and had this crazy thing that people never eat because you know again we you know Somebody might look at a pig and look at how intelligent it is and go, "That's insane that we we eat pigs." But you know, God, it's bacon's delicious. We can't we can't give it up. Um, I will say that when I lived in Japan, I had a raw horse. I had horse sashimi, and that was interesting. Um, that was it. Basically, people asked me what it tastes like. It was basically just like a cold cut. Like it didn't, you know, it was like a beef cold cut. Um, but that was interesting. The fermented soybeans and natto, I did not enjoy. Um, the pregnant mackerel, which is basically just mackerel filled with fish eggs. That was, that was an interesting one. Um, but yeah, the, the raw horse is definitely the one that I think catches people off guard when I tell them that I, that I ate and was fine with, I thought it was okay. I don't Frankly, know how familiar you were with pride when you were in Japan, uh, in terms of the MMA promotion, but there are a lot of, uh, fighters that, uh, enjoyed horse meat, uh, that fought out of there and they would frequently get busted for, uh, steroid use, uh, <laughs> It's, I mean, honestly, where I lived, I was kind of in the boonies, and where I lived, it was considered a delicacy, along with, and this is one that I think you can go, well, that's ridiculous, but the, there was also a raw chicken festival near where I lived, uh, where people go and then get salmonella poisoning with frightening regularity, 
that was definitely um, one that I, I, I missed that. I ducked that one. I was invited, and I said, no, I'm okay. I don't need that. Thank you, though. Um, yeah, I'm normally a pretty adventurous eater. I drew the line at raw chicken. Um, okay, so that's Ask Us Anything. Thank you so much for sending those questions in. We'll continue to answer them. Uh, real quick, though, we, we got a couple other things that we want to touch on. Uh, talked a little bit about Deion Sanders, who has basically gutted his entire program. I think they have about, what, like 12 scholarships players left. Uh, they knocked pretty much everybody off. How do you, I mean, how do you feel about that? Like, I know some people have been holding that up as an example. Dennis Dodd is, is one of those guys um, of, uh, you know, college football just kind of like falling apart and this is super callous and you know some of the statements that Deion Sanders has made about you know how he just wants these guys off the team is has seen as pretty harsh on the other hand Colorado was maybe the worst team in uh in college football one of the worst teams certainly in college football uh top level college football last season they were 111 and lucky to get the one um I don't know how do, how do you feel about how he's handling that situation I mean, the alternative is he lies to a bunch of players that he's going to end up replacing. He right. went in there and was very transparent about, you know, we're giving this place a facelift. Uh, you know, some some of you might be around and we'll see who it is. I mean, he, I think he went in there and he he challenged a bunch of guys that had not a lot of success in the first uh, or not the first, but in, you know, the most recent campaign that preceded Deion Sanders joining the team. So he went in there, the expectation is to succeed, and he said, you guys are at the bottom, and the the dynamics of college football right now are in a position where I can drastically and dramatically improve the team very quickly if I've got the you know the capacity to do so which because of the brand and the person he is he presumably does mm -hmm. i don't know if they're gonna make a dramatic turnaround in the first year given the fact that they are in the power five i don't know if they're gonna be a you know a threat to the usc's and the utah's right away particularly because you know they're playing in basically the same backyard that utah is and mm -hmm. utah's taken the crown the last two years um but for the way the rules are, if you want to be mad at someone, you know, I mean, this is going to be very cliche in this context, but don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> the NCAA right. makes the rules, be mad at them. Dion is just, you know, trying to put kids in the position to be successful and be the best coach he can be. Um, at least the ones that are talented, whether or not that's fair to the people that were at Clemson already, or not Clemson, Colorado already. Um, you know, if they're trying to be successful and they just went what two and eleven, two they they only won they didn't they didn't win a lot last year. Yeah, whatever the record was, pretty bad. Yeah, so I uh, you know, I I try to be sympathetic, but at the same time, he was very transparent about what his expectations were, and I I think I I hope in the long term that there are players that succeed that weren't necessarily locks to be there long term that look at that moment when he told these guys most of y'all aren't going to be here next year right you know right after he joined 
And I hope that there's players that looked at that moment as a challenge in terms of when they decided to be successful and that they speak to that. Because I, I do think that Deion Sanders is going to be successful at Colorado. And I, I, I think that long-term that moment is going to be something that we look back on as a very telling like state about where college football is in this era. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be more people inspired by how Dion handled this that are going to try to replicate that. I think those people that are the imitators of this situation are probably going to be the ones that we, you know, feel like handled the situation not correctly. Dion, at least, was very transparent about what he was going to do from the jump. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the transparency, and that's something that is, you know, unfortunately pretty rare in college football sometimes, especially from coaches to players. And I I, I think that's the way to go about it, especially if you're going to have to do what what he did, which was essentially, like you said, kind of just gut the program and and start from scratch. I do think there are probably better ways to go about it. Um, I I really hate the cliche of like, you know, the the college football coach who goes in and he's like the biggest jerk possible. And that's how you win games. I I think there are, there are smarter ways to do things. It worked for Ryan day. Yeah. And and the thing is like, you know, Colorado was really, really bad. And sometimes a program does need a kick in the ass. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. And, and I don't think he's like, you know, saying mean things is not the end of the world to a player. You know, they understand, you know, how, you know, they understand what their record was last season. Um, the problem is, is that it's not really sustainable long term if you're not winning. And it's definitely not sustainable long term if your players don't want to be there. And, and that includes the guys that are going to be coming in because, the transactional nature of college football now it cuts both ways yeah you can exploit that and get a bunch of transfers and dudes to come in build up your team that's awesome but if they don't think that Dion's going to be the dude to get them you know the attention of the nfl or win a lot of games they could be right on out the next season um so i i think that's a danger that you run into if you're going to kind of be this guy to come in and be like all right man i'm kicking everybody right and square in the butt that's fine you got to be smart about it though. Um, and once you have your core group of guys, I mean, you gotta, you gotta change your tune a little bit. So we'll see what happens. I I think that he's a legit coach. I don't think he's a dude just out there, you know, for himself. I mean, I think he, he knows how to coach football. I think he's got a good mind for it. Um, but you gotta, that's a tricky thing to handle sometimes. Um, next thing we want to talk about real quick, lots of stuff happening and Ohio State sports. And, and of course, we talk about, you know, the non-rev stuff. But, you know, men's tennis, for example, which has been really super freaking dominant. And I don't, honestly, like, I don't think I really sometimes pay as close attention to men's tennis as I should or at least be as aware of their dominance as I, I should have been over the past several years. But they had a share of their 17th consecutive Big Ten regular season championship. That's pretty good. Um, and then they went out and they won uh, the uh, the Big Ten tournament, uh, their first since 2019, uh, sweeping Michigan of all teams. That's pretty sick. They, I mean, their coach Ty Tucker, man. First of all, 16th year. There's no, there's no uh, what that Jim Trussell effect, right? Where you know, uh, high state coach never wins 
um, Big Ten Coach of the Year for football. That is apparently not the case in men's tennis because um, he Ty Tucker's been the Big Ten uh, Coach of the Year now 16 times, and uh, they're they're legit. This is a big time team who has been doing things for a while, and they're sending a lot of dudes to the pros at that level and and kicking butt. So that that's a pretty cool story, I think. Um, men's lacrosse, you've got men's golf, you've got women's softball. This is the one that I kind of wanted to talk about, uh, getting a no hitter. I know those are a little bit more common sometimes than women's softball, but, uh, I, you know, I think it's pretty awesome anytime somebody, uh, gets that, uh, you know, hits that mark there. So Allison Smith was able to get, uh, her first career, no, no hitter, nine Oh shutout. That's pretty sick. Woof. I don't know, man. That's cool. That's a blowout. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And especially in softball. I mean, that's that's pretty legit. Five inning pitch, uh, seven strikeouts, no hits allowed. Um, pretty sick. So congratulations to her and, uh, you know, to the Ohio State Buckeyes who are doing pretty well in, in, in softball. So that's that's cool to see, too. I think this is a – we talk, I, I mentioned briefly men's lacrosse. I, I think that's one of the sports locally that is starting to really kind of grow in prominence as well. And maybe, you know, that's something that's been, um, I, I think that's something that's been going on for a while now where people have been kind of looking at that, but, uh, men's lacrosse, um, first time that the entire line, uh, were, uh, black lacrosse players on defense. That was pretty cool. First time in the power five conference, power five, uh, program to do wow. that. I think that's a great, uh, milestone to hit. And, um, you know, has it been kind of been an up and down season for them, but I think that's a cool accomplishment that they were able to to have and to and to do. So there you go. So that's kind of the non rev stuff. Last thing we want to mention before we get out of here, this is kind of a sad thing to talk about, but um, somebody who's obviously made a huge impact on Ohio State sports in general and the Ohio State community, uh, Bob Kennedy, who was Ohio State football's public address announcer and among other sports, uh, has died at fifty nine. Um, you know, if you've attended an Ohio State uh, football home game or any number of other sports at Ohio State, you have heard this guy's voice for many years, um, did it for over two decades. And, uh, you know, Jerry Emig said that he had a big heart, loved his Buckeyes, true professional. And honestly, like, I think about all the games that I've attended at Ohio Stadium and, and his voice, such an integral part of the game and what you see on the field and, and how you experience things in the stadium. And he will definitely be missed. That is, that is really sad. And, uh, you know, like I said, true pro and, um, you know, that's a person that I'll be thinking about a lot. I think, as I think about like my experiences in Ohio stadium, I played JV basketball in high school for two years. And then I knew I had no future. And as I alluded to earlier on the podcast, I was 230 pounds, so I was not going to play varsity. <laughs> um, but I pivoted to becoming the PA announcer for our basketball team that ended up going all the way to state. And, you know, the reason I wanted to do it was because I wanted to contribute in some way. And I recognized because of guys like Bruce Buffer for what he was doing for the UFC as an arena announcer and uh, just the way, like, I was a big Bulls fan and I would see how they would do the introduction with the Alan Parsons project. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I, I saw how much, like, a voice could set the tone in an Mm -hmm. arena and I wanted to contribute. And guys like... 
guys like Bob Kennedy are their their contribution to the environment is is so profound but often so understated and mm-hmm. I just I hope that when he left I just hope that he understood how much people appreciated what he brought to the environment for Ohio State athletics uh, yep. and it was clear there was a story that I think one of the commenters left that said that he did um, he did an Ohio State Michigan game last November and then one, or I believe last November and then went and immediately did like a high school game the same night that that fan was attending elsewhere in Ohio that's um, awesome so he you know consummate professional and he'll be missed and I I look forward to seeing who who steps up next in that role because obviously as I said it's a you know it, it it's a big set the tone thing for Ohio State athletics um but you know, the guy did it for 23 years, obviously. Anytime you get a tenure like that, it's uh, you're, you're obviously beloved in your job. So rest in yep. peace, Bob Kennedy, and uh, thank you for all you've done, and we, yeah. uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, whoever steps up next is going to have some big shoes to fill. I mean, not just football, baseball, men's and women's soccer, field hockey, ice hockey, volleyball, swimming and diving. I mean, filled in for basketball, did men's ice hockey the guy really just had an enormous impact on Ohio state sports and um, he will definitely be missed. So all the best to him and um, you know, and his family and, and, and hope that, you know, uh, people think about, you know, the impact that he was able to make, um, you know, on Ohio state sports and, you know, he will definitely be missed. So that's the 11 dubcast this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about, all the kinds of goings and happenings and and all the stuff that's going on with Ohio State sports. Uh, But until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you then.